The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and tonight's message is actually a follow-up to the message that I did on Sunday morning, November the 17th. And in that message, that's a long time for you, I know, to remember what that could have been about. But in that message, I, I talked about taking a risk for God. I talked about working for the Lord, about service to Him. And this particular message is, I said, a follow-up to that. And I do wish that we had the entire church here uh, to go through this subject again. But the Apostle Paul says in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, in verses 11 and 12, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, you can go to the text now in Exodus chapter 31, and this text in the Old Testament is an application of what we've just read in the New Testament there in the book of Ephesians. When God has a job for us to do, when he has a job that needs to be done, he calls the people to do it, and he enables them to do that work. And the question is, will we surrender? Will we actually do the work that God has called us to do? So let's look here at Exodus chapter 31. As I said, this will be an application of that text in uh, the New Testament. In the first verse, the scripture says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones, to set them and in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him a Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee." the tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is thereupon and all the furniture of the tabernacle and the table and his furniture and the pure candlestick with all his furniture and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all his furniture and the laver and his foot and the cloths of service and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded thee, they shall do. Now, in a bulletin article, the one that I wrote on the 17th of November, I made a reference to the tabernacle and how that the whole place, the whole system of worship in the tabernacle represented Jesus Christ. Now, I think that we see in the Old Testament figures that have New Testament counterparts that teach us about our service to the Lord. Now here in this text, we find two men that were especially chosen by God for the work that he wanted them to do. Their names were Bezalel and Aholiab, and they were given what we might call sacred employment. 
They were given the job, the sacred employment of building the house of God. And I believe that in the work that God gave them to do, we find an example for how that God employs his workers today. Now, this is, of course, an Old Testament story. And the Old Testament is truly a a remarkable collection of books. And it's very sad that there aren't more Christians that spend time in the Old Testament because you find the background and the explanation of many New Testament doctrines and New Testament pictures, uh, those are found in in the Old Testament. And so many things about our faith can be discovered in the pages of the Old Testament. Now, you take, for example, all of the scriptures that are in the Old Testament that deal with the tabernacle and the worship that God gave Israel. Uh, If you weren't acquainted with that, if you didn't know something about tabernacle worship, then when you come to the book of Hebrews, you, you wouldn't really understand what Hebrews is talking about when it speaks of the superiority of Christ, especially in the area of his superiority over the Levitical priesthood. You would not understand that very well unless you had read the Old Testament about the tabernacle. Likewise, when you come to places like in the book of Colossians, where uh, Paul says that uh, Christ has blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Well, that statement is made clear by reading all of the things that they were told to do in the Old Testament concerning tabernacle worship. And then neither would you understand when you come to the book of Galatians where Paul speaks there and says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So all things that are written in the book of the law are the things that we find in the Old Testament in these particular places like are written about the tabernacle. Now, the Old Testament, then, uh, is a place that holds a key to very valuable information about the faith of Christians. So what we've just read tonight is a part of the instructions that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, when most people think about what happened at Mount Sinai, they think about the giving of the Ten Commandments. And, of course, that is the, the most prominent thing that comes out of that, at least in our minds, we think about the Ten Commandments. Uh, That's without doubt the most well-known part of the story of Sinai. Uh, That's where God gave the law. And when most people think of the law, they think that one segment of it that's called the Ten Commandments. But what they don't understand is that uh, when God gave the law, he gave Moses much more than Ten Commandments. Because when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had more than just those stone tablets on, on which were etched the tables of the law, but rather what Moses also brought down with him from Sinai was a whole theological system. He brought down all the laws that governed sacrifice. He brought down God's exact instructions about diet and about farming, about borrowing and lending money. He taught the people about ethics on Mount Sinai. That was given to Moses. And then there were also subjects like personal hygiene. Even that was part of what God gave. But also what Moses brought down were the instructions for the plan or the plans for for building a structure that was central to Israel's worship of Jehovah God. He brought down the entire plan of the tabernacle, a plan of worship and the materials that would be used to build that place right down to the minutest of details. And uh, folks, I have to tell you that God is very interested in details 
There was nothing in the tabernacle that was left to the imagination or the choice of man. Not the blueprints, not the order of the service, not the arrangement of the furniture that went in there, not the materials from which it was made, and not even the workmen. All of that came from God. And unless I forget this very important statement, I do want to make this now, that the tabernacle shows us salvation is all of God. That's the picture that it's intended to show us. Man has no part in gaining his own salvation. Salvation is all of God. Well, the plan and the worship of the tabernacle give us the Bible's most extensive view of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, We find more about Jesus, and this is really a surprising thing, but if you study what's done in the tabernacle, you'll find more about Jesus in that Old Testament picture that was given there than you will in any other place of the Bible. The tabernacle actually, and the worship of the tabernacle, actually becomes the backdrop for many of the great theological dissertations of the Bible. So if you want to know more about Christ and what he did for us, don't stop at the New Testament. Go into the Old Testament and you'll find him there. Now, what I want to do tonight, though, is just to give you a, a very small segment of the truths of the tabernacle, just very, a very small piece of it, and that concerns the workmen. What kind of understanding of Christian service can we get from the workmen of the tabernacle? Well, first of all, as we've just read in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, that chapter, those verses that I just read show us that God selects the workers. God is the one who selects the workers. Now we notice here in verses 1 and 2 of our text in in Exodus 31, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, see I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And then in verse number 6, and I, behold I have given with him a holy ab. Now, when Moses came down from the mountain, God had given him this instruction manual. He gave him the instructions for the building of the tabernacle, and that manual was very precise and very specific in the details. Now, as I've just spoken, what would be learned from the tabernacle is the underlying basis for a whole system of theology. A whole system of theology. It would be something that would, that would tell the whole nation, a whole spiritual people, about the nature of God and about the Messiah who was coming, the one who would deliver, from their, deliver them from their sins and would translate them into the kingdom of God. And so you can see what they were doing there was a very important work, and this was a work that, would, that was tasked to very special people. And so important was it that God took upon himself the task of choosing those men who would put the tabernacle together. And when you look throughout Bible history, you'll find that this is the way that God always works. That God is always the one that chooses the person for his job. For instance, we look at Abram. Abram was called out of Ur the Chaldees, and God made him the father of the Jewish people, the father of many nations. It was God who called Moses at the burning bush. It was God who called even a man like Samson to be a judge over Israel. It was God who called Samuel to anoint David to be the king. And in the New Testament, we find it's God. It was Jesus Christ himself who chose the 12 apostles who were the building blocks of the church. And it was God who chose his own son to bear the penalty 
of our sins that you and I justly deserved. See, only Jesus Christ can build his spiritual house. And in this case, it was only Bezalel and Aholiab that were given the knowledge and the ability to build this physical house that God told Moses to build. So God is the one that calls the servants. God is the one who appoints them to the task, and Bezalel and Aholiab were special called-out servants of God. And let me remind you of this, that God is still in the business of calling his people. He's still in the business of calling his servants, and we see it right here in Berean Baptist Church. We see people that God has called into his service. Now, of course, it's my firm conviction, borne out by scriptures, that God calls the pastor. I mean, I I don't know why anyone would want to do this job if they haven't been called. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says there that it's the Holy Spirit that calls pastors to be the overseer of the church. So men don't call themselves to this job. They don't call themselves to be pastors. They can't prepare themselves mentally and physically to do this job. Uh, Being a pastor of a church is not an easy position. And that's not something that I say in complaint, but it's not an easy thing to do. Now, I I have experience in that in more than one way. Of course, I pastor the church here. But I also grew up in a pastor's home. And, and for years, as I was growing up, I saw long, long hours that are devoted to ministry. And those hours were often very hard. The hours for a pastor don't begin at 9 and end at 5. Uh, this is a full-time 24-hour, 24-7, I guess you might say, job that a pastor has. He can be called upon at any time. And the problems that a pastor faces are not easy problems. Uh, those problems require often special abilities to deal with. And quite frankly, I don't have those on my own. I can't have them unless God gives those to me. Now, you think about the issues that you deal with, uh, sometimes in your own family, the emotional problems that people go through in your own families, you know that that's a hard thing to deal with. Well, multiply that by 50 or 60 families in the church that a pastor has to deal with, all of these things that are going on, and you see what a a difficult job that it really is. So it has to be something that God has called the man to. Now, while I'm on that subject of God's call, usually the critics of the pastor are not themselves servants of God, but rather they're rebels. See, God's only called one man to be the pastor, And often you'll find that there are others who think that they have the job. Now, heaven knows that a pastor can't be right 100% of the time. I mean, I've nailed it at about 98%, so I'm still human and I make a lot of mistakes. But I'll tell you this, as my dad used to say, if you've got a complaint, and I'm not saying anybody is hitting me up with complaints every day because they're not, but if you have a complaint... Uh, Anything that's of a spiritual nature or a scriptural matter that you think is wrong, that's being done wrong, then come equipped and be ready to discuss it because I don't do what I do and I don't believe what I believe because of arbitrary choices. I mean, I have firm convictions about what we do here and about what we teach here. And so if you have a complaint about those things, you better come with the Bible and be ready to sit down and show me where we're doing things wrong. But my point here, though, is that I can't imagine that God would allow anyone but Bezalel and Aholiab to do this job that he called them specifically to do. 
You see, God is very touchy about that. He's very touchy about people getting into the wrong place where they don't belong. Now, remember a few weeks ago when we were studying worship on, on Sunday night, I was talking to you about Uzzah, that, that man who reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, God struck him dead immediately on the spot. And the reason that God did that is because Uzzah was not a priest, and he didn't have the right to touch the ark of God. God said for no one to touch that. And God made an example of him what will do, what he will do when people get out of place. So you ought not to intrude where God hasn't called. But I also believe that God calls people for other areas of ministry. And I think we see the evidence of that in our church. When you see people that really love to do the Lord's work, when you see people that are happy in the job that they're doing in church, then you know God has to be behind that. Because this is not something that we naturally want to do in the flesh. What what we'll want to do is to avoid the things of God if we can. Be lazy, sit down, not do anything. And so when you see people that that work hard and they're really at it and and they love the job that they're doing, then you know that the Holy Spirit must be in them and, and God is directing them in the work that they do. Now, whether that's the choir, whether it's our musicians, whether it's teachers or whether it's deacons, when you see people that are happy in the Lord's service, then you know that God is behind that. And so our complaint is not really about them, but it's about those who have been selected, but they will not serve. Now, you see, there are things that God has called everybody in the church to do. Everybody is called to be a minister in some way. And so if you aren't ministering in the Lord's church, what you have actually done is turn down God's call. Now, there's a very interesting note here, a side note here in the selection of Bezalel and Aholiab that demonstrates that point. And it's really amazing sometimes how that God puts so much into the little details that he gives. Now, when God gave the plan for the tabernacle, he also set up the arrangement for how the tribes of Israel were to encamp around the tabernacle. And then when they got ready to march, God had a specific order for for them to march as they carried the tabernacle from place to place and set it up in different places. Now, in that order of marching, it was Judah that was always in the lead, and it was the tribe of Dan that was always in the rear. They always brought up the rear. Now, let's take a look here at this text and see which tribes that Bezalel and Aholiab were from. Verse number 2 says that Bezalel was from the tribe of Judah. And in verse number 6, it says that Aholiab was from the tribe of Dan. And so there, you have represented in the work that God called them to do, the first and the last and everything that comes between. Now, the major... The major application of that is probably something that you've already guessed. That is also a picture of Jesus Christ, that he is the first and the last, and that he's everything that's in between, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith, that he's the beginning and the end of our salvation, and and he is everything in the Christian life that lies between. Jesus is all in all. And that's just one of the many, many beautiful pictures that we find in the tabernacle. But there is another application that that fits us more immediately to what we're talking about here in the text, and that is how does that apply to service? Well, the way that it does is that in God's church, there is work for everyone to do. 
from the smallest to the largest, from the first saved to the last saved, there's work for everybody to do in God's church. Now, there are some that have greater ability than others. There's no doubt about that. But there still isn't anyone that's left to stand idle in the Lord's work. God has something for everybody to do. Now, secondly, I want you to note tonight that God equips the workers. If you'll look at verse number 3 of the text, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. And then God goes on in verses 4 and 5, and he gives a list of all the things that he had especially gifted Bezalel to do. Now, to me, that is just a fascinating part of this story. When you take a look at the many different things that Bezalel was gifted for, you know that no one but God could call him to do this. I mean, nobody could, could gift or no one would be enabled to do as many things that Bezalel was able to do and to know so much about how to do it if God had not enabled him to do that. Do you remember what the occupation of the Israelites was before they left Egypt? Now, after the death of Joseph, the Bible says that there arose a new king in Egypt. And you remember how that, and when Joseph was there, he was second in command to Pharaoh, and Israel enjoyed a favored, a favored status in Egypt. Joseph put them in the best part of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And the Israelites were always favored as long as Joseph was alive. But then Joseph died, and there was another Pharaoh that rose to power, and he didn't know anything about Joseph, and he cared nothing at all about the Israelites. And so what he did was to take away that favored status of Israel, and he put them to work making bricks to build his pyramids and his cities. Now, we advance the story about 200 years and how uh, we are here in this text, and Israel's at the foot of Mount Sinai, and uh, this is after the exodus from Egypt, and they're encamped at Mount Sinai. And Moses came down from the mountain, and in his hands he had the plans for the building of the tabernacle. And included in those plans was the extensive use or works, uh, extensive use of fine works of gold. There were furnishings that the work required the expertise of a silversmith. Uh, there was the requirement to make precise cuts like a jeweler would do in order to set jewels in the, in the many different garments that were there. Uh, the skills of a master carpenter were needed. And Moses looked out over all that congregation that God had given him, and he has these plans, and he has these things that God said to do, and he looks out over the people, and I'm sure that he must have thought this, but Lord, all I've got is a bunch of bricklayers. How are we going to do what you've told us to do? And I don't want you to misunderstand that statement, that building, or bricklaying rather, is an honest and an honorable work. Bricklaying is an art of its own, but if I want a fancy pair of earrings for my wife, I don't go to a bricklayer and ask him to make those. A bricklayer doesn't know how to do that. And that's what the task was like here, what God said, these, well, this is what needs to be done. And it was like asking bricklayers to do all of this. It's like asking house painters to paint the Sistine Chapel. And it wasn't like Bezalel and Aholiab had time to learn all of these things and to get that figured out. And so what happened was this, that, that God, by an immediate act of his power, gave Bezalel all the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that he needed to do what he was called to do. Now, what is our point here? Point number two, God equips the workers. God doesn't just call someone to a job without enabling him to do that job. 
Well, does that mean that God gives everyone or gifts everyone in a supernatural way? Or, or that God gives everybody wisdom and intelligence and special abilities that without having to learn those? I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, if God calls you to do something, he will make sure that you have the tools and you have the capacity that are necessary to do that job. Now, in our church, we have a collection of people that are skilled in different areas. Now, what God is able to do is to take the skills that you have and use them somehow in his service. Now, I think about people in the church that are gifted as handymen. You know, that's something I can't do. Don't ask me to fix something. I mean, I, 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 I'm not good at fixing things. Ask my wife. She's on me all the time to get this or that fixed. And, you know, I'm just not good at that kind of thing. I can't do that. But I'm thankful that the Lord gives us people in the church that are able to do that. I think about our ladies that play the instruments and how marvelously talented that they are. I can't do that. And then I think about the ladies that, that lead the children's choir and the beautiful singing that they do. They've got those kids singing like canaries. That's a special talent, especially when, uh, as I've heard, the boys' voices are changing, and so they have to bend, blend bullfrogs with, with uh, canaries. But all of them can sing. That's not a criticism. They, they get through that. They learn how to use that to their advantage, and, and so, you know, they can really sing. I, I couldn't teach kids to do those kinds of things, and we're so thankful that people have those abilities. I think about our sound ministry. Half the time, I have no idea what Bob's doing back there, but I know that Steve's a stabilizing influence, and so uh, things, get, things can get done. But those guys, you know, they can twist all those knobs back there, but you put me back there doing that, and we really have a mess on our hands. I don't know how to do those things. You see, when God calls workers, he equips them for service. When he calls an evangelist, he, he gives them a heart to give the gospel to people. When he calls a pastor, he gives them a heart to, uh, to deal with the, the needs of the flock. When he calls a missionary, he gives them a heart to go out to peoples in different parts of the world that have never heard the gospel before. And when God calls you, you can be sure that he will give you the strength and the spirit and the heart to do his work. Now, let me call your attention to another observation. Did you notice in this that Moses was not gifted and did not have the ability to do what Bezalel and Aholiab were able to do? Now, the Bible does tell us that Moses was skilled in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, but he couldn't do this. I, I personally believe that, that Moses was really a super intelligent man. And he served well in the capacity or the role that God gave him uh, to do. But Moses was not skilled to do this work. And I hope you've been paying enough attention to see where I'm going with that, that. That God equips you with the ability to do your work and not someone else's. Now, many times... The, the, the abilities that we have will overlap into another area, and uh, we may be called on to do something else. And that really becomes, uh, is one of the problems that we have in church, is because we have those people that I said our complaint is about who have been called to do something in the church, but they won't do it. And so it means that other people that are gifted for other things have to do that job as well. And you know how this works in any organization, that the most work gets done and the best quality of work gets done when people do their own jobs. And so when people are letting down and not doing the job that God has called them to do and somebody else has to do it for them, that causes us a problem. 
So part of your business is to do the business that God gave you to do, to do your own work. So you let the pastor do his job, and you let the deacons do their job, and you let the Sunday school teachers do their job, and you make sure that what you have been appointed and selected to do that you will do, and that you have been equipped by God to do that work. So first of all, God selects the workers. Secondly, God equips the workers. And then lastly, God appoints the work for the workers. Now, at the beginning of the message, I told you that God was very specific in his instructions. If you start reading in Exodus 25, and you read all the way up to where our text is in Exodus 31, you'll find that God laid out all of the work that he wanted to be done before the workers were ever chosen. God had everything set the way he wanted it, specifically what needed to be done in every task. So the work is all arranged, and then the workers were selected to do that. Now, here's what we can glean from it. Bezalel and Aholiab were not free to do what they wanted, when they wanted, and how they wanted. God said, I have work to do, and these are the workmen that I want to do it. Now, if you look at the last part of verse 6, we'll read a few verses here. It says in the last part of that uh, verse, In the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee, the tabernacle of the congregation, that's the tent, making the tent that housed all of this, the ark of the testimony, that's the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat, that is thereupon, and that's where those cherubim uh, had their wings touching over the mercy seat, that's where... Uh, atonement was made, that's where the blood was sprinkled, all the furniture of the tabernacle, and the table with his furniture, that's the table of showbread, the pure candlestick with all his furniture, the altar of incense, and that's the, the altar that stood just before you went into the Holy of Holies, the altar of burnt offering with all its furniture, that's the altar that was outside of the tabernacle structure in the courtyard, And then he goes on and he says the laver, that's where the priests washed themselves before they went in, and the cloths of service and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded thee shall they do. So God didn't say, give me some workers and then let them figure out what they're supposed to do. And he didn't say, give me some workers to do my work if they're not too busy doing something else. And he didn't say, give me some workers and let them build the tabernacle and let them make it the way that they think that it ought to be made. Now, do you see opportunities for application? What is the work of the church all about? Well, right here in my hands, we have the instructions for what we are to do And we have instructions for when we are to do it. And the Bible tells us how we are to do it. Now, what gets in the way of all of that is when we do what we want, when we want, and how we want. But the New Testament example that we have to follow for how God's work gets done is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Because he said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And that's how you find acceptable service to God. It's always found in obedience to the master's will. So God's will in the church is really not all that difficult to find. 
You know, the people think, I, I just can't figure out what God's will is. How do we figure out what His will is? And they think it's really, really hard. And so people are puzzled about it. But the will of the Master is very plainly laid out in God's Word. All you have to do is read the instructions. Now, I don't pretend to tell you what God's will is for some little obscure area of your life, but I can tell you what is God's will for all Christians to do, for all of his people to do. So first, what are we to do? Well, we find one answer to that question in Mark sixteen fifteen, where it says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, in that verse, Jesus was giving instructions to his apostles. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 28, the scripture says there that God set the apostles first in the church. And so when he spoke that commission in Mark 16, 16, 15 and 16, and when he gave it to the same thing in Matthew chapter 28, uh, he spoke to those apostles as they constituted the church that he formed. That's the first church in operation. And so that means that the command that he gave those apostles is a command to the church. It's a perpetual command, which also means that it comes down to us today. And as members of the Lord's church, that's something that we must do. That's work that God has given us to do. That's to preach the gospel to people. So it lays upon every church member the very same responsibility to tell people about Christ. And and I'm not telling you that it takes a preacher to do that, that he's the only one that does it, or deacons are supposed to do that, or Sunday school teachers. And neither do I say that it takes the ability of a preacher or of a deacon or of a Sunday school teacher or some other type of worker in the church, that they're the only ones that can do that because it is such a difficult thing to do. No, it's not a difficult thing to do. Because if you know how you got saved, that qualifies you to tell somebody else. I mean, if you can't tell somebody how you got saved, you better check up and see if you're really saved. And that's all that God requires us to do. Tell people how they can be saved. Secondly, when are we to do it? And I could give you a list of things that uh, we're to do at particular times that God says to do them. But I would begin that list with, with this one that I think is so foundational and fundamental that we can't miss it. And that is that God says that you are to assemble with the church. Now we have various times for church services... And many of those services don't get attended for what we Baptists like to call being providentially hindered. And it seems like providentially hindered, uh, that term, has come to encompass and it's been expanded to encompass every excuse imaginable as if that had anything at all to do with the providence of God. Now, I can tell you without question that at least three times in the New Testament, it, in relation to the assembling of God's people, it tells us that is on the first day of the week. And then in Hebrews, it says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So you put those two things together, as all good Christians should be able to do with Scripture, and what do you get? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together on the first day of the week. That's a command that God's given. That's a win for us. Be there on the first day of the week because that's when God's people assemble together. But there are other things in the Scriptures that, that have times attached to them, but uh, I can tell you without referencing all of those that we can just do this. Continue always in the work that God has given us to do. Continue always. Our work for God is never a back burner issue. Then thirdly, how 
are we to do it? Let me give you some adverbs. See if these strike any kind of reaction in you. Faithfully, unceasingly, steadfastly, fervently, diligently, willingly, kindly, peaceably, honestly, fully, charitably, boldly, perfectly, earnestly, decently, abundantly, godly, gladly, zealously, circumspectly, heartily, justly. Does any of that ring some bells with you? If they don't, then I can't help you. So maybe we'll just go to the negative side of that and we'll say not grudgingly and not spitefully and not deceitfully and not foolishly and not dishonestly and not slanderously and not uncertainly. I think there are a lot of us that have some catching up to do on how to do and not to do God's work. So God gives us the work and he tells us how to do it. You just got to take some time to read God's instructions and then that the, 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 the what, the when, and the how, all of that will be opened up to you. So God selects the workers, God equips the workers, God appoints the work for the workers. And so what you should do is consider the quantity and the quality of your service to the Lord. Now the reason that the work of the church suffers is not because God hasn't selected properly. And it's not because God has equipped members inadequately. And it's not because the work that he gives is just too trivial and unimportant to do. No, the work that God has called us to do has eternal consequences. It has eternal consequences for you if you're already a Christian because God says that he's going to reward us for our faithful service to him. So it has eternal uh, consequences there. But it also has eternal consequences for the ones that it affects. When other people watch you and when other people hear the message that you bring to them and they believe that, of course that has eternal consequences for their soul. And here's the whole thing about what we do in our work in Brian Baptist Church. We do it because this kind of work glorifies God. And whenever we say something glorifies God, you know what should ring a bell or, or you know, just hit us in the head immediately? That has to be a priority. Because that's what we've been called to do. There's nothing, that, a higher work that we've been called to do than to glorify God. So if I tell you, this glorifies God, then you say, then we better do that. We better be doing that. So here's what we need to find out. Is God's work our priority? Because God wants workers that work. Now, as you drove into the driveway of our church in Kentucky, there was a sign there next to the driveway that most churches have. It's a sign that tells you the name of the church and a sign that gave the address of the church and the times of service and all of those things. And then as you came out of the driveway, you were able to see just one little simple statement that was written on the back of that sign. And that statement was, the worship is over, but the service has just begun. Now, I think that the sign was a little bit off because I don't think the worship is over and I think the service has been ongoing because worship begins with what... We just learned this, didn't we? Not this a couple last week or week before. Worship begins with what you do out there. It doesn't start in here. It starts in your obedience to Christ out there as you live your everyday Christian life. That's where worship begins. And we carry it forward into here in a corporate manner, which is something that we need to do. But that service and that worship is ongoing. So you need, to, you need to think about this. How, how are you going to answer God's call? When he selects you to be a servant, how are you going to answer the call? Are you going to ignore that? 
Are you just going to say, well, well, no, I, I, I can't do that? Or are you going to be a worker that works? You know, I don't think that God would accepted, have accepted from Bezalel and Aholiab, here is the work that I've called you to do. I've equipped you to do this work. And they said, I don't think so. I don't think I want to do that. I think those are some guys that would have been struck dead like us if they responded to the Lord that way. Now, he doesn't do that today. If he struck Christians dead today for, for not obeying in, in these kinds of ways, um, I wouldn't have anybody preach to. And I wouldn't be here either, for that matter. But God doesn't do that to us today. But he still expects us to work for him. He still expects when he selects us to do the work that we'll be right there and say, Lord, I will do that. You know, just like we, the song we were singing, Here am I, send me. Uh, that, that's what God expects from us. So let's follow the example of Jesus. What you have been selected to do is to refuse your will and to do his will. To do the Father's will. He gave us instructions. And now it's the responsibility of God's people to follow those instructions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we, we count it a joy and a privilege to look into the Old Testament and um, find the many things that are there that are just so good examples for us. And Lord, we, we, we've seen it here tonight, what you expect from us. And may we take your word, apply it to our lives and be the workman that you want us to be. Help us to be ready for the work that you've called us to do. Lord, we thank you so much that not only did you save us, but you gave us this opportunity to serve you. And then on top of that, you said, I'll reward you for doing it. Heaven would be enough. It certainly would. But to receive the rewards of faithful service to you, the joy of this life, and then the one to come is just more than we can even imagine. So thank you, Lord. Lead us into greater service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.